Are you looking to get away from it all and experience a part of Alaska that not that many people get to see? If you are, then this episode is for you. Welcome to the Alaska Uncovered podcast with me, your host, Jenny Twin Flaming. My occasional co-host and full-time husband, Jay, and I bring you accurate, helpful, and entertaining information about Alaska travel and life in Alaska. Our guests today are Paige Drovney and Cody Street. Cody and Paige both moved to Alaska separately in 2001 from the Midwest and Colorado. They met in 2004 working in Seward. The next year, they moved together to Fairbanks to start graduate school. Paige studied fisheries oceanography and Cody studied anthropology and archaeology. While in Fairbanks, they fell in love with dog mushing and got their first dogs. Then they started doing the long sled dog races and it pretty much took over their lives, as happens. Between them, they have run 25 1,000 mile races, both the Iditarod and the Yukon Quest, and countless shorter races. Paige has gotten seventh in the Iditarod twice and Cody third in the Yukon Quest. They have both received many Veterinarians' Choice Awards. And in 2016, they became the only married couple to both run the Yukon Quest and the Iditarod in the same season. In 2017, they started guiding dog mushing trips and tours. And they continued to do fisheries and archaeology work through their consulting company. And then they started a former tour, a formal tour operation in Cantwell and in 2019, giving summer and winter tours. Then their dream property on the Denali Highway was available, and they started what became and is now the Susitna Adventure Lodge. And the lodge allows them to blend all their skills and interests into one business and one home. Um, they built the lodge themselves, and if you want to see them and see their progress and how everything went, you can check out the TV show Building Alaska, season 11, which they were in. And they also really specialize in winter. So uh, those of you who listen to this podcast frequently know that I am a big believer in winter visits and Jay is a little. <laughs> um, so Cody and Paige, welcome to Alaska Uncovered. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So uh, in, in the specific understanding, um, if you're not from Alaska, Alaska is a huge state, but it's a small town. And we just recently found out that Cody and I have had a number of shadow uh, lives in that we both had the same job at different times for the National Park Service. And I think we might have actually met at an archaeology conference in Kodiak once. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think we uh, ended briefly. up overlapping there for sure. I remember hanging out with you. <laughs> it's funny. Alaska is such a like, yeah, it's a small town. Yeah, it really is. We we run into folks. You bump into other people in these funny ways. And it anyway, that's great. I am so glad to catch up and hear that you, like I, have have uh transcended the archaeology lifestyle and moved into something that suits you more um appropriately. And it sounds like you guys are doing some pretty awesome stuff. Thanks. Yeah. And and actually uh on a daily basis when there isn't snow on the ground, I still um Still, I'm an archaeologist around here, and, and, and the fact that our our the lodge is actually on a, a property that has two uh, recorded historic or archaeological sites here, and so I've found 
multiple flakes and stone tools and things just walking around our own property. So that's kind of fun. That's awesome. Cool. So, um, Cody, why don't you start with telling us how you got to Alaska from the Midwest farm? Um, yeah, so I grew up uh, in Iowa when I was young on a big farm. We moved to Wisconsin when I was a teenager, still had farm animals. Um, but my dad was into outdoorsy things. And so you know, we did a lot of hunting and fishing and hiking and camping and canoeing. And um, so I just loved being outdoors. Um, and so in college, I actually went to college for natural resource management, um, uh, learned a great deal about the natural world. And so when I graduated, I decided I wanted to go to Alaska. And so actually it was, yeah, the summer after I graduated, I came up um, and worked as a guide um, on the Kenai Peninsula and just fell in love with Alaska. Um, I did go back to Wisconsin that fall um, with my girlfriend. Um, and when I got back to Wisconsin, it was apparent that Alaska was where I needed to be. Um, so I spent only a couple months back in Wisconsin and turned around and came to Alaska. I got a job at the Alaska Sea Life Center and I taught uh, marine science to school groups and worked on exhibit design for a few years. And then while I was there, I found archaeology and decided to go to grad school for that. Well, that's pretty cool. Uh, also, the, the Sea Life Center, a frequent flyer on this podcast tangentially. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that unites a lot of people we talk to. Yeah, for sure. Paige, how about you? How did you get to Alaska? Um, so I guess sort of similarly to Cody, um, I grew up uh, wanting to be outside and do things, you know, everything I could outside from the minute I could walk, I was bringing uh, any animal that I could, you know, inside, including like crickets and frogs and um, putting them in little terrariums and trying to raise them much to my family's chagrin. It's definitely not my family's forte. Um, yeah. And so then I, I went to college and got a biology degree and, um, and uh, it's focusing on fisheries and wildlife and uh, moved to Colorado and was doing, working for the forest service there, doing some fisheries work. and. Um, in 2001, uh, after 9-11, Colorado got too crowded for me. <laughs> a lot of people moved there at that time, and uh, I was feeling a little bit of the squeeze there, and so I was like, okay, the next place to go for one for work and two for space was Alaska. So I came up here in 2001 and um, actually was working in Glen Allen when I first moved up here for BLM. Uh, and um, after the summer I left, um, I had been traveling around in my, and, and I bought, I bought a camper van and traveled around for a few years. Um, but always coming back to Alaska for the summers. And at some point I was, you know, this was before hashtag van life. <laughs> yes. I was just going to say you were, you were trend setting OG. Yeah. Oh, man. There, there was no Instagram. I had a flip phone. So, uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did that for a few years and then came back and wanted to experience a winter um, and was kind of ready for some grounding. And um, so I, I, I had a job in Seward for the summer, which is where I met Cody. And then I started graduate school um, that winter and uh, so moved to Fairbanks and um, was uh, then hooked on Alaska for year round living and haven't really left the state for more than like, you know, a few days at a time for, uh, about almost 20 years now. That's pretty cool. It seems like you guys have a, have a, um, uh, what I think it was kind of a common history. I certainly share it. And a lot of friends I did like came up from somewhere in the lower 48, 
and then it just kind of hooked you. <laughs> you. You ended up sticking around. Um, I think I think there's a a big misconception about Alaskan winters. Like you know, visitors. You know, I mean it's obviously cold and it's dark, but I think there's so much beauty in the winter. And, um, so for a while I was, I was scared to, you know, spend a winter up here, but winter is really my favorite season and, and spending a whole year up here and experiencing the winter. I, um, really now would rather leave in the summer times than in the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can, you know, I, I was definitely, uh, I got tired of the winter when I lived there and now I miss it. Well, actually, this this uh, brings me to a question. So I think it's interesting. I have kind of forgotten, you know, there's been another another wave since COVID of people like leaving crowded places and moving to kind of beautiful places uh, that are less crowded. I forgot that that had happened at 9-11 as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Colorado, I lived in Breckenridge, Colorado. And so, the, yeah, there was a big wave of people just like wanting to get out of cities, period. And um, Breckenridge was like a cute little town when I you know, little town when I moved there and, uh, in 2001, it would just, or two, yeah, it just got really crowded and, and crazy. And, um, I just didn't, yeah. Yeah. Looking for a little more space. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I lived, I lived really near Bozeman, uh, Montana. That was the nearest kind of big town. And it was a little cow town when I was in high school. And after COVID, uh, we went to visit and it's incredible how many people live there now. And yeah. that yeah. is, you know, like people call it a zoom town, you know, it's a lot of folks who have remote jobs, which wasn't an option back 20 years ago, but right. Anyway, on the topic of, uh, living remotely and off, uh, out, out of crowded areas, you guys live on the Denali highway, which if you're hearing this, you might have a couple of misconceptions about that term. <laughs> so the Denali highway uh, so you live like right smack dab in the center, right? Your lodge is on the Susitna River. That's correct. Yeah, we're we're uh, right at uh, the, the Denali Highway is 135 miles, and we're at mile 77 and a half. So really, right smack dab mm -hmm. in the middle and of the of the highway, but also of the state. If you were to throw a dart at the center of the state, you'd probably hit us. Right. So it's like almost directly south of Fairbanks, across the Alaska Range, basically. Right? Correct. So the the couple of misconceptions I I brought up are one uh, the Denali part of Denali Highway it's not a road in Denali National Park it's you guys can correct me if I'm wrong but I'm pretty sure that I remember this it was the original road to get to Denali National Park correct yes yes yeah. so this before they built the park highway this was the way that you got to Denali National Park by coming from Paxson across the Denali Highway all the way to the Denali Park entrance. Um, also, and an the park highway wasn't built until like the seventies, right? Yes. And an interesting side note is the actual original village of Denali is about five miles, six miles from us here. Um, oh, really? It was a native village and a mining town um, in early nineteen hundreds. Um, I don't know the exact population, but there was a pretty big population here. And at some point, when they put in the Alaska Railroad, uh, most of the and the mining had kind of died out here. Then the folks from here moved to Cantwell, created Cantwell. Um, and, and then worked on the railroad. Um, and so the actual original village of Denali is right here um, in the middle of the Denali Highway. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, so the other kind of potential misconception is the term highway. And I want, uh, like a lot, a lot of times when folks visit Alaska, they're surprised to find we have a number of things that are called a highway that are not paved. 
and this is one of them. And I don't want to speak because I haven't. I the last time I drove the Denali Highway was twenty years ago, probably. Uh, I used to mountain bike on it a lot in the nineties, quite a bit, but I haven't driven it in forever. So I don't know what condition, what it's like now. I know there was a period of time where it was not maintained by the state, and the like folks who lived along the road kind of banded together to do so. And but now it, it is again, or I don't. Anyway, what's the, what's the road like? So when I say highway, you're you're picturing like a two lane blacktop thing. That's not this. What is the road like today? Um, yeah, so it, it's a it's a gravel road um, uh, that extends from Cantwell to Paxson, so 135 miles. Part part of it by Paxson is paved, but um, paved is sort of a in in quotes I would say because um, you know as Alaska winters can wreak havoc on pavement, there's frost heaves and uh, cracks in the road and potholes. Um, so that's maybe one of the one of the not good sections of the road, the rest of it that's gravel or chip sealed is in, is actually in pretty good shape. It really depends on the weather um, and how much rain we have in the summer, but it is maintained by the state now, the Department of Transportation. Um, they, it is not, it is not plowed in the winter time. And so in the winter time, uh, it becomes a, a highway for snow machines and dog teams. Um, but then they plow it, uh, you know, like in, in late April, they open late April to May, they plow it and open up the road for the summer. And then they do maintain, paint it in the summertime. So just describe for our listeners, uh, what the visual landscape is of the, so the Denali highway follows the Alaska range on the South slope of it. Uh, well, just beyond that, what does it, what does it look like, uh, if you're driving along the Alaska highway or the Denali highway? So it's very similar to the Denali Park Road. I mean, you start out in Cantwell, um, you're right up against the mountains uh, in the, the taiga. So it's a small black spruce trees interspersed throughout the tundra, um, mountains popping out every direction you look. Um, and you follow along the south side of the Alaska Range um, all the way across the Denali Highway. And so as you drive across the Denali Highway, you look to the north, you've got mountains um, right there, some of the biggest um, besides besides the actual big peak of Denali, um, we've got like uh, Deborah Hess Hayes um, right there. Some of them, I think the biggest one's like 14 or something. Um, so we've got big, big mountains. We've got glaciers. We've got the Nana Glacier visible from the Denali Highway right there. The Middle Fork Glacier, West Fork Glacier um, for the Susitna are visible from the highway. So you can see glaciers right from the highway on a clear day. Um, we've got lots of great wildlife, just like the park too. Lots of moose, caribou, wolf. Uh, grizzly bears, um, fox, porcupines, um, lynx, lynx. So yeah, there's lots to see. It's super, super scenic. I know National Geographic voted it one of the most scenic highways or byways in the United or in North America a few years ago. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just always there's always something to see. It's super beautiful. And so even though the road can be a little bumpy and a little rough, um, most people really enjoy the ride. Um, stop a lot, get out, take photos. Um, it's it's just a, a super scenic area. Yeah, I would say I have one holdback road that I don't tell anyone about in uh, Montana, Wyoming. That that is my favorite on earth, but Denali Highway is my second. I mean, that's my. <laughs> I think it's one of the most beautiful places, especially in fall. Yes. Yeah. Oh my god, the, the tundra foliage that you can see up. Uh, you know. Yeah, really the fall, fall colors are amazing. We get these big bright red. Um, bright red uh foliage and yellow and it's just yeah the whole the whole 
place looks like it's on fire. It's beautiful. One thing that Cody left out is even though we have um, we have the Alaska Range to the north of us of the highway, on the south of us we have the Talkeetna Mountains, and so we're literally surrounded by mountains on on all sides of us. So the view the view doesn't suck. <laughs> it's <not> really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I, I will just also agree that it's really beautiful out there. Yeah, I also think the area is more bathed in light than the northern interior. The north side of the mountain of the Alaska Range, you know, you get the, I don't know, I feel like you get these kind of beautiful sunrise sunset effects, um, especially in winter. Well, you do it in northern interior too, but really quite beautiful place. Yeah, we were actually just talking with um, about that with um, some folks that help us here. One of them was in Fairbanks for the weekend um, last weekend, and she was like, "Wow, it's really dark and like." really dark in Fairbanks and you come out here and you don't notice the darkness as much. And I, and I mean, I, we're, you know, we're about 150 miles South of Fairbanks. And so we do have a little bit more sunlight, some actual sunlight, but I think because it's so open here and then, you know, have so much light reflecting off the mountains, it just feels so much brighter. And, um, it doesn't feel like the dark depths of winter, like some, like some Northern places. Yeah. And this time of year, the, yeah. the sun, the sun angle is really low. And so like the mornings, the sunrises are like this three hour, beautiful, uh, process. And then, and then we get a couple hours of maybe blue sky, whatever sun. And then, it, and then it feels like it's a couple hours, I guess it's even shorter period of time than that. But anyways, the sunsets and the sunrises are super long and we get these just amazing, colorful skies both times a day. And it's, yeah, it's, I love that with your light. I mean, it doesn't last that long. It's it's high quality, if not high quantity. Yeah, I used to ride uh, snowmobiles over there by Paxson, of course, um, and I was always struck by the light, uh, how much lighter it felt than Mm -hmm. Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, since we are recording this in December, and this episode will also be live in December, let's start with talking about winter a little bit. And I know that you also are very partial to winter. So um, tell us a little bit about some of the things that make where you are at the Susitna Adventure Lodge on the Denali Highway, like really special in winter. Um, Well, I guess as as I've already talked about, um, I like going to places where there aren't a lot of people, um, and that's this is sort of the the perfect spot for me. Um, our nearest neighbor is ten miles away, um, and so we really are out here. Um, and with the highway not being maintained, we really are out here in just the secluded amount of beauty surrounding us. Um, so the thing I love about winter is is the quietness um, that accompanies us out here. And also, like Cody mentioned, the sunrises, sunsets, the aurora. Um, we don't have, obviously, any light pollution out here. And so the auroras, um, we have great viewing of the aurora. And then also, um, we're dog mushers. And so winter is is sort of our jam. Uh, and so we're out here. The dogs get to be dogs because we don't have any neighbors. And so there doesn't have to be any quiet hours um, for them. And uh and so we can, uh, and we have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles of, um, of, uh, land to explore with our dogs. And so that, um, that to me is the ultimate, ultimate winter package. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, can you tell us a little bit about for guests who stay at the lodge, how do you get there in the winter? We'll also talk about this for summer, but for right now, 
how do you get there in the winter? Yeah, so in the winter, um, we have a couple of different options for getting here. Um, the way we started this business and the way what we've been doing mostly in the past is um, most of our guests in the past have come by dog team. Um, and so they've actually done more of a, an expedition style trip. We teach them how to drive their own dog team in Cantwell. Um, and then from Cantwell, they um, take two days to drive their dog team. It's 55 miles from Cantwell to the lodge. Um, and so we run about half that distance, stay in Arctic oven tent camp for a night, which are heated tents, um, camp out under the Aurora and the stars and hang out that night and watch and then um, then finish the ride or the dog mush trip into the lodge the next day. Um, we've also had groups fly in. We have an 1800 foot airstrip here that we groom um, so you can fly in by ski plane. Um, and so we've had groups do that, fly in, do dog mushing and other activities from the lodge and then fly back out. We've had groups choose to do that one direction and then drive dogs out. Um, what we're starting now is we have a suburban, um, seven seats, uh, passenger suburban that we bought snow tracks for. Um, and we're just getting that all fitted and ready to roll here in the next couple of weeks. Um, so we'll be able to drive people in on the trail cool. um, in the suburban as well. So that's kind of a new, exciting thing that we have that. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring more uh, people who maybe don't have as good as mobility or just aren't, aren't willing to be out in the cold as long. So, yeah, that's great. That's so you have multiple options, even in winter. That's pretty sweet. So, so for a snow machine, if if people want a snow machine and they can do that too. Oh yeah. Got it. But then they are getting there on their own. That's right. Yeah. So you guys will go with them for the suburban or the dog team. Correct. Yes. But yeah, okay. That makes sense. Cool. Um, and then I'm just curious, do you use the Denali Highway as the like the road, if you will, that you take the suburban on? Or do you take a different path? Yeah, so for the suburban, um, that's nice big pack trail. Denali Highway Trail Club grooms it, so it'll be um packed wide and great for the machine. Nice. Um, so we, we use that for the suburban. When we bring people out by dog team, we use both a combination of the highway trail as well as side trails we put in yeah mobile so then you get kind of a mix of stuff awesome cool okay so what about summer um and i guess one thing i should ask before that for folks who are listening if you're new to the podcast this is something we've talked about several times about the like rapid transition between winter and summer that happens in um, not all of Alaska, but a lot of Alaska and certainly the area we're talking about. So, um, during those transition times during breakup and during fall, are people able to visit you or do you, do you have to close down your operations sort of while you transition from winter to summer? Um, yeah, it's still, there's still options, um, during those times, not always the the nicest seat, like spring. Um, (laughs) so our winter actually goes until they plow the road really. And so they plow the road, start plowing the road mid April there. It's open by the end of April. Usually, um, that period is still mostly winter here. We usually still have four or five feet of snow. Um, so once the road's plowed, you can still, you can drive out here, but then it's like spring corn slushy snow you can't yeah. there's not a lot we can do it's too too mushy to run dogs anymore but you yep. can't go making your you know the lakes are still got ice on them so you can't do any of that stuff so there's a couple there's about a month there that's it's still beautiful but it there's not a lot of activities that are you can do at that time fall's a different story fall's beautiful fall um 
if you're if you're okay with cooler temperatures, there's still a lot um, that can be done in the fall. Cool. Okay. Great. All right. So let's switch into summer then. So tell us some of the awesome things you can do in the summer out there. Yeah. So in the summertime, um, we've got a variety of activities here near us on the Denali Highway at the Lodge. Um, we're located in what's called the Clearwater Mountains, a small little mountain section of the Alaska Range. Um, it, it was historically a big mining area. Um, and so over the years, there's been lots of mining trails, mining roads put back up into the mountains um, and some really extremely beautiful places. And so we can uh, we have easy access to some some really amazing mountaintop hikes and uh, alpine hikes. Um, we have uh, ATV uh, side by side so we can take folks on a ride in the side by side, get up to High Ridge Trail and then go hiking where you can look out and see Denali from the top of mountain that's you know almost 200 miles away um you see the glaciers you can see all those types of things so we've got great hiking and by hiking we can do um so the, the best thing about our lodge is where we're situated and all the different access options we have we can pretty much do activities for any level of of adventure or physical um level um so so like Paige's parents were here with their friends and they're in their 70s. And so we took them up to the mountaintop and went for a stroll up on the mountaintop and had a picnic and then went and fished for a while and creek for grayling. Um, but we can also take a group and go on a three-day backpacking trip in some real serious mountains up to a glacier. Um, and we have all the options um, for all levels, basically, all interests. Awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like people can kind of customize their experience to yeah, what they're looking for once they're there among those things. Totally. Yeah. And so we have fully guided options um, where we, you know, take them fishing, take them hiking, uh, go gold panning, uh, go for the ATV tour, wildlife viewing. Um, we do have the airstrip here, so we can arrange also for flight seeing. We can have a plane land, pick people up, take them out or helicopter. Um, those are options. Um, for more adventurous folks, we have pack rafts and uh, and inflatable paddle boards that we can take to different different lakes or different streams and and floats. Um, we have canoes here. We have a lake on the two lakes on the property. One's a little bit bigger, and we have a pontoon boat and canoes and kayaks and all that stuff here um, for folks to use just on the property. Um, Cody, Cody, you mentioned a pack raft. Could you describe for our listeners uh, what a pack raft is? Yeah, so a pack raft is. Like if you can envision what a whitewater kayak is and what they can do, a pack raft is an inflatable version of that. It's a small little boat. Um, you can roll it up. It's about the size of a backpacking tent when it's deflated and rolled up. Um, so it's easy to carry. Um, and so you can, you know, they're, they're, they're now pretty, pretty amazing watercraft that you can use for class five of whitewater or for just flat water. Um, so we don't do the crazy stuff here with guests, um, but there are crazy things in the area that, that people could do if they were staying here that were were qualified. Um, but yeah, they're just a nice boat. You can roll it up. We can take them up to an alpine lake, inflate them, go paddle around. Um, you can backpack into a, a whitewater creek and, and float out. Um, they're just a very versatile wilderness craft. And that's actually where I got into using those was in Gates of the Arctic when I worked for, for the Park Service. Um, did lots of different um, survey trips where we explored the Brooks range by pack craft. Um, so they're great, great watercraft. Yeah. That was the first exposure I had to them too. I had never even heard of one before, uh, gate. 
Yeah. I, I, sometimes I remember the first time I saw one and I thought, man, those French fur, Canadian French fur trappers <laughs> would have died for this, <laughs> for this device. You know? yeah. yeah. That's kind of a, that's cool. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like a really amazing uh, opportunity for folks who want to get off the beaten path, but like, what would you say is the, the right kind of traveler for your lodge? Um, well, so I guess that kind of goes um, back to what Cody was saying about it being customizable. So the way that we have envisioned this place is sort of in our likenesses. And as I guess that's how people do, but we, uh, when we travel, we like to do things on our own or like not with a, you know, like with group of people that we don't know, and that just makes us more comfortable. And so we made this place so that when, when somebody books, it's, um, it's all, it's private. So it's a, basically a property buyout. If they book the, this lodge, if it's, you know, even if it's two people or six people or 10 people, there's nobody else on the property. And so then we can create whatever experience that that group of people wants. And so it can really be from any, you know, anyone from like someone with small children that, you know, wants to do a bunch of different activities in a day to um, someone that wants to go and do it, you know, a 10 hour hike to the top of the peak um, or a pack crafting trip or whatever. And so it is fully customizable to whatever the group is here. And, and there's no, there doesn't have to be any, any compromises with other people that are not in your group. Obviously you have to custom, you have to compromise with people that are in your group, but that ends up being an easier, <laughs> hopefully an easier compromise than uh, with people that you don't know. <laughs> It's a known compromise. We, we even had guests who who their ideal day was to sleep in till two, have lunch at three, and then go do something for a couple hours, and then come back and relax again. So we're fine with that. If yeah. That's yeah. So if you want to, if you want breakfast at six a.m. and like you know and get up and yeah. you know and go, that's you know again we have so we have a private chef here, and then we are your guides, and so um and so and so all of it is flexible and and tailored to exactly what the guests want. I have to laugh about the having to adapt to the people within your own group because I I, I know like, I said that sometimes it I guess it can be harder. Oh, sometimes. No, it it can- can be harder, but <laughs> it's a real thing. I just laughed because I was remembering I was uh, uh, I was um, leading a group of kayakers up off Ellesmere Island, up uh, you know, n- northern Canada, and um, there was a, a husband and wife pair, and they were in a tandem kayak, and they kept they kept having trouble. Like we were in pack ice, and they kept running up onto ice floes, you know. And uh, finally, they waved me over, and I came over close to them. And they're like. So Jay, uh, you know, you're like a you're like a marine marine captain, and they're like, so you can do marriages, right? And I'm like, you're already married. And she's like, no, I want a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard double kayaks called divorce boats. Yep, but. that's the nickname for those. Yeah, <laughs> Jenny and I used to ride tandem um, bicycle, and we had so many times we would rent one someplace, and they'd be like. Have you done this before? <laughs> Once they gave that was, the guy gave Jenny a uh, business card. We rented one down in Florida, and he like on the sly gave her a business card. And was like, if you guys get in, you know, like if you start arguing, just call. Pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. It's funny. The guy that rents tandems in downtown Anchorage, uh, Pablo, like he has like a little a bike rental hut and he among other things he has tandems and he's one that like that was by then jay i think that was like the fourth or fifth time that we had rented one and he was like getting ready to give us the like 
marriage talk and we're and I told him I'm like it's cool we're not gonna we're not gonna get divorced because of this it's okay (laughs) (laughs) and he's like oh okay great oh that uh just as a random not divorced but speaking of the would uh I just just thought of this it sounds like it would be a pretty amazing place to have a wedding (laughs) have you guys had a wedding there yet or yeah we did have a wedding here last summer and it was absolutely gorgeous the the Alaska range and was in the was the backdrop for the for the wedding party and then all the guests sat out front of the lodge and it was yeah just absolutely beautiful what did you say the um the capacity that you could you could have of folks sleeping um for sleeping so we have um two three bedroom two bathroom uh houses for people and then we also have a couple of small cabins um and so if every bed was full to it like so if king beds and queen beds you know each had two people sleeping in them uh and then we have pull out couches as well we and could each, each room has a single it can go in as well so yeah so if depending each, on the arrangement of how people want to sleep if each bed is filled we can sleep 20 people oh wow yeah yeah, that's the- for like the the wedding we ended up having because they were Alaskans um, and an, an adventurous folks yeah. as well. They ended up having a lot of friends and family camp out here, and so we had a big fun camp out party. There was twenty tents on the airstrip, and yeah, that um, that wedding was there was about a hundred people here, and so there there is um you know like I said our nearest neighbor is ten miles, and then we all which is a lodge, and then on the other side um we have a lodge that's five miles from us that um. Not that not is not open currently but so then a, a lot of the um some of the old some of the guests that didn't want to camp out and weren't staying on the property and then rented places there Hold over. that's oh, cool. cool that's good you're, you're next door neighbors you know yeah. over <laughs> the next door neighbors. yeah <laughs> just down the so road on that, on that topic uh just because um we talked about the winter access what about summer access um do our folks on their own to get to you in the summertime like do you do you recommend people like rent a car and drive? Yes, yeah, so there's, there's, drive there's multiple options. Again, I mean, obviously we have the airstrip. People can, oh, right, of course, like, you can fly in that as an option directly from Fairbanks or Anchorage or Talkeetna. Uh, we've got companies that can fly here easy. Um, yeah, rental vehicles are good. There is the little disclaimer that most, a lot of the normal, uh, like na- nationwide rental companies don't allow vehicles to go on the Denali Highway. There are a few, because it's gravel, um, there are Alaskan companies, Alaska 4x4 rentals, Go North, a few others that have rental vehicles that do allow that. Um, and Turo. So, as well. Um, possibly you can find something. So so that's an option. The other option that we have is we have the Suburban and can provide rides from Cantwell. Um, and so there are multiple ways to get to Denali Park, Cantwell area. Um, the Alaska Railroad's a great option. You can take a train from either Anchorage or Fairbanks to Denali and we can pick people up. And then um, there are quite a few different uh, bus and van shuttle services that bring people to Denali as well. So would be um, pretty sweet to take the train and then get you guys to pick them up. <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty cool. It's a pretty cool winter package to do that. People can ride. To, to Denali and then we pick them up and um, then this year we'll drive them out in the track rig and then go dog mushing. <laughs> that is really cool. That is, that is that would be a really cool exotic full immersion into mm-hmm. the last Yeah. Um, do you, uh, for someone who has not uh, ever done dog mushing, is that, uh, you know, can folks come there and do it 
just without any knowledge or experience? Yeah, I mean, most of the people that we do have come here to experience dog mushing have never have never been on a dog sled before. In fact, uh, one person we had last year was from Texas and had never even really been seen or seen snow. And so, and we have, we've had guests anywhere from 13 years old and to, to 75 years old drive their own dog sled. So yeah, we, we spend, spend a few hours teaching folks how to, how to harness the dogs, um, how to drive a sled properly. We have all the clothing so that people are safe and warm. Um, we're wilderness first responders. Everybody who works with us has lots of experience. Um, and so we have a real high guide to, to client ratio too, um, where we have usually at least, at least two guides all the time. So even if it's only one person, we have two guides to make sure that the dogs are safe, the humans are safe, everything's safe um, um, and running smoothly. Um, when we do trips with like say six guests, we still have four guides out there with them on the trail. Um, we, we love our dogs like family. And, and so we, we just want to make sure the dogs are safe and the humans too. We love the humans. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, second, second well, I'll just say as a search and rescue professional, I appreciate the concern for safety. And that's a huge, a huge positive sign as a good guide to, to guest ratios. Yeah. Really key to, to know. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, a lot of things that could go wrong out here. And so we like to make sure that doesn't happen. So. Well, and when we do, when we do the, you know, we have a couple um, trips that are mixed groups that are up to six people when we have four guides. And it's not, it's really, when we talk about it, it's not six guests. We really have, I mean, at, when we have that many people, we also have 42 Alaskan Huskies on the trip too. And so we really right. have 48, you know, we have 48 guests that we have to take care of. And so four yeah. people for that really is not, uh, not <laughs> yeah. over the top. <laughs> yes. Well, well, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll talk more with Paige and Cody. Hi everyone, Jenny here. I just wanted to pop in and let you know about my new Alaska Adventure Planner and Workbook. So if you are looking to plan your trip on your own to Alaska, don't do it all alone. Let me help. I have a great resource for you. You can use it online as a Google Sheet or you can uh, download and print it. You can share it with your travel companions. You can, it'll help you make all the decisions you need to make, book things in the correct order, make decisions and keep everything in one place. It's a fantastic resource and the link to grab it is in the show notes. All right, we are back with Paige and Cody from the Susitna Adventure Lodge. And we've been talking about the Denali Highway and the lodge and winter and summer and getting there and that whole experience. And now we're going to transition just a little bit. Um, it would be fantastic to hear from both of you. What are ways? So if people are listening to this episode of the podcast and they have listened up to this point, they're probably people who like to get off the beaten track a little bit, um, go to some places not everybody gets to go. So other than obviously coming in and seeing you, which is an amazing way to do that, when people are planning their trip in general, what, what is some advice you have for folks in that situation uh, about how to plan an, a trip to Alaska that will really be a little bit different? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think one of the, the main 
things that I, I've uh, found out there is a there's there's a couple different um, organizations in the state that are really good at at, at um, putting information out for travelers. Uh, one is Alaska.org. Um, their their website has lots of different options. Um, it's not just a packaged tour type of website. So if you go on there and you're interested in staying at a wilderness lodge, you go there, um, you'll get a whole list of different wilderness lodges. It talks about them, it links to them, tells you all the different benefits, the different places. Um, same like if you're interested in dog mushing, you go on there, you won't just find us, you'll find 20 other ones in different areas of the state and talks about um, what they offer. Um, so that's a good, good um, uh, resource. resource. Um, the other one or other ones are like contacting, uh, say like, Visit Anchorage, explore Fairbanks, uh, yep. the Matsu um, Convention Visitor Bureau, Denali Visitor Bureau or Chamber. Um, those all have a bunch of different businesses in the area that are on there that you might not find in these different uh, larger group packages. Um, and so I think that's a good way to start is to go to those places and see what's out there. Um, I'm not the kind of person who reads a lot of reviews, but I know people do, and that's probably a good place to go. Um, we're not very good travelers. We just kind of go and explore and find out what we find. And then be like, oh, we should have done that. That would have been. Yeah. Easy. We're not very good. Yeah. Planning our vacations planners. are not, they yeah. don't, they don't. Uh, yeah. I don't, so I don't know how other people would do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that Paige, because one of the things, you know, when I am helping people plan their trips that I often tell them is like, if you want to go to somewhere like Denali, national park like to the entrance area or to a place like Seward you know you really do have to plan because ever the hotels book up really early and that kind of thing but that doesn't mean you can't have an amazing experience in Alaska with less planning you're just gonna have to be flexible about where you go and maybe seeing some places that are a little different yeah well, and I think, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, Denali National Park, you know, has, has the, the, um, is the big place that people want to see, but, um, just outside of that area is, is, is almost the same views and the same yeah. animals, but, but much quieter without, yes. you know, without all the traffic. And so, um, we actually had some guests that, that stayed here, uh, this past summer and, on their list was like Denali National Park. We we have to go there. We want to fly over it and then we want to drive in and see. And um and so I drove them into the park um and we got like not very far in there and they were like, can we just go back to your place? It's way better. <laughs> like the views are way better. There's no people like this, like we don't need to be in here. And I was like, I, we can certainly do whatever you'd like. But uh, I know that was, that's on a lot of people's list and I get it. Yeah. Like it's a big iconic place to go, but also just for people to realize that um, like a lot of places in Alaska are that beautiful. Um, yes. And it doesn't, that doesn't have to be, um, you know, if you can't get in there, it's not the end of the world. Yes. I really, I really like that. That's a good, one of the things is that the the famous, amazing places that people have on bucket lists are going to have a lot of other people going to look for the bucket list. Uh, and so being able to be a little more um, uh, flexible in your thinking about like, like think one layer deeper. What is it? Why do you want to go to Denali National Park? What are you looking for? Are you looking for the experience of seeing a really tall mountain? Are you looking for an experience of solitude? Do you want to, you know, like, what's the next? And you might, sometimes you'll find that there is 
a better option with fewer people that will get you what you want. Yeah. Uh, without that, you know. I also want to give a shout out to you. Uh, you're my people. I'm not a big trip planner. And a lot of times there's a serendipity uh, that comes with, you know, having an experience that you didn't plan. And I think that's a, the other thing I, you mentioned, you know, you guys were talking about, uh, you had some guests who like to sleep in and whatever. And uh, it just reminded me not that this was relevant to them necessarily too, but you don't have to be an action hero um, outdoor of, uh, you know, fanatic uh to really gain a lot of 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 benefit from going to a more remote um visitor experience and you can just sit by the river and really have an experience that that you can't find very often anywhere else of solitude and peace and you know um so you don't you don't have to go do everything under the sun either yeah, I think your lodge would be a great place uh, if you have guests of differing activity levels. Yeah, and I I think that um you know for for first got time guests visiting Alaska, that's sort of the rabbit hole that people fall into that they need to see all of the things that they've heard about in Alaska. And Alaska is such a huge state that you end up just like running for you know the whole time that you're here going from Seward to Homer to Anchorage to Talkeetna to you know Denali and Fairbanks when um and then it seems like the second time or the third time people come back they can hone in on the places that they really enjoyed and wanted to like ground down and like you know relax, relax and see what that place you know more what that place has to offer um mm-hmm. And it seems like, yeah, that's, that's sort of the, the, um, the flow of things for visiting Alaska is just like a sort of a, like a, a manic trip, uh, the first time and then trying to scale it back to the, what people, what people enjoy. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, we did not prearrange this, but you're, you're speaking to the, um, the, the steady drumbeat, um, of, uh, verse and chorus of what we, we tell people a lot, which is <laughs> Alaska is a really big place and you really cannot see it all in one trip. You can't see it all in a lifetime. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> most, of our, most of our vacations we do do in Alaska and we, and there's, we have an endless list of places and things that we yeah. want to see. Yes. Yep. Well, that's something those of you listening out there See, listen to Paige. <laughs> it's not just me saying that uh yeah, Alaskans have not seen everything in Alaska, nor will they in an entire lifetime. So yeah. So yeah, you you're not gonna see it all and and don't let that don't let that bother you. Yeah. <laughs> see the parts you can see on the opportunity you have. And and I really do think that like a a a cruise with a with a rail belt tour isn't a bad way to get a, a an overview and you might find a place you're going to want to come back and spend two weeks in just that place. Yeah. I see that. I feel like I see that happen a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, on the topic of, um, uh, well, that's not a topic. I was looking for a segue, but I don't have one. So we're going to just go. <laughs> we like to wrap up with a, with a set of questions we've asked all our guests so far uh, on, on the podcast. And um, we start off with, what is your favorite restaurant in Alaska? Which actually, I'm going to add a slight side detour to and ask, what about what's this food situation at your lodge? How do few folks eat? Do you? Yeah. So, so there's a couple of different ways you can experience this lodge. Um, 
So we've set it up. Both of our um, houses are like um, are like full full complete houses: three bedroom, two bathroom with a full kitchen, living room, dining area. Um, and so for some guests in the summertime, uh, they want to you know drive the Denali Highway and do things on their own. Then they're more than welcome to just rent it by the night and cook their own food. Um, but full full disclosure, the closest grocery store is four and a half hours away. So make sure you don't forget anything if you're cooking for yourself. Um, but we also offer um, all inclusive packages where, you know, we have a private chef um, that comes and will actually call you uh, before you come to see if there's any dietary restrictions and what your likes and dislikes are. And he'll prepare a menu for you. Um, that's mostly Alaskan you know, based food. So as much Alaskan grown vegetables and, um, and protein as, as possible. And, um, we'll create a menu, uh, just, just for you. Um, so that, that just continues on the, on the customizable adventure that you get here. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the food situation here in the winter time. We, we really only do, um, um, all inclusive trips because, um, because of the difficulty in getting out here and the and the guided adventures, sort you know we want to make sure people are safe out here in the winter because there's a um, there's a lot of room for error in the winter. But um, but so all winter adventures include include a private chef. That's amazing. So if when you're not uh, eating delicious food at your own lodge, what's uh, your favorite restaurant to eat out in in Alaska? We don't get out very often, Jay. <laughs> But Cody is an amazing cook. Um, my, I guess, you know, we, we eat here 99% of the time. Um, and then when we do go to, you know, Anchorage or Fairbanks, um, it's, I, we don't really, I guess, get into food there as much as we do here, but I love wild game. And so you can't get that at, at, at restaurants. Um, and so we we're lucky enough to be able to harvest moose and caribou out here um, on occasion. And my favorite thing to eat is caribou tacos. <laughs> pretty oh, <simple>. fun. <laughs> Love it. I like halibut enchiladas, but they're both pretty similar. Yeah. <laughs> you catch halibut in Mississippi. You go down, you go, uh, go down, down to Seward. Yeah. yeah, we go down to Seward to get some fish. Nice. Yeah. I get out now and then. Well, I, yeah, I we'll accept that. There's some, you know, there's, some, there's some good Thai food in Fairbanks. I guess that's the next. Yes. Next yes. Next. yes. Yes. Jenny wants to make a mashup of folks we've interviewed saying Thai food uh, about Fairbanks. It's yeah. incredible. Well, I Isn't am it? doing it. Yeah, it is. I am totally going to when we do our yeah. restaurant episode in a couple months. I'm totally yeah. doing Whenever, it. When we go to Fairbanks, we get Thai food. Yeah, yeah. we do too. <laughs> <laughs> and we did when we lived there. That's just the thing. Yeah. Um, have you, speaking of Thai food, have you been to the Thai food truck that is across from Denali Park Village in the, by the Grizzly Bear? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. That's it. I mean, that's nowhere near where you are really, <laughs> but it's one of the closest restaurants to <laughs> us. Yes. I always tell people like, you know, when I'm in Denali with folks and they find out that hot dogs are $15 because I tell them <laughs> that they're like, what? And then I'm like, or you could feed two people for $20 at the awesome Thai food truck. So <laughs> I have helped many people. I experienced Thai food for the first time because they're motivated uh, by that. And then I'm like, yeah, this is, this nice. is pretty awesome. 
anyway. In the Denali area, we do have some some great summer restaurants. And McKinley Creekside is great. Panorama Pizza is great. Um, yeah. They're kind of our closest restaurants to here. And we're so lucky because they are, they both serve fantastic food. Yeah. That is, if you're only going to have a handful of restaurants near you, yeah. it's nice if they're good. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> cool. Okay. What is your, I know this one is going to be tough. What is your favorite month of the year at the Seasetna Adventure Lodge? Uh, for me, I think it's late February, beginning of March, into March. That's, yeah, so that's two months, but um, they're both super beautiful. We start to usually have more uh, high pressure, more blue sky, clear days. Um, it's a little bit warmer. Um, we get a lot more light starting in end February, beginning of March. Um, so we have full days outside still gets dark enough to see aurora at night um it's just a magical time because the dogs we've been we've been training all winter now it's like summer's coming the light's coming back but we can still do the amazing winter activities that we like so it's and all our trails are in and it's it's yeah mm -hmm. it's yeah. my favorite time sure. that sounds awesome yeah hey, mine is also the same uh for <laughs> yeah. all the same reasons <laughs> You know, there's this, there's this feeling you described the light coming back and it's like, there's a bit of a like momentum feeling mm -hmm. like a surge of energy. I always felt at that time of year. That's like, you know, days are getting longer, but it's still wintry. It's yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. And you can, you know, after a long winter of, of cold temps, you can, it can be 25 degrees out and you're outside in a t-shirt and you're comfortable. A funny change. Yeah, I think yes. we we have a lot of guests in in March and the beginning of April, and most I guess um, one of the questions that we get is or that people are worried about is being cold. And um, and while we assure people that we have all the necessary gear for them to stay warm with you know the big parkas and stuff, they don't generally end up needing them. And and are surprised at how warm it is. The albedo effect from the sun reflecting off of the snow. You you will get sunburned in March. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often get um in the spring people will be like, oh, where were you? Hawaii? Like, no, I just just <laughs> been outside. Just uh, <laughs> no, actually. Yeah. Lost track of where the sun was. That's all. Let me show you my arms and legs. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's the key. It's like, Is that what would we call that? A musher's tan? If it's yeah. just your face? This is my neck up. Face and, and hands. hands. Face and hands. Yes. Okay. Face and hands. Mushers and also them. nostrils. Your nostrils get incredibly burnt from the sun coming up from the yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's That's yeah. Rough. The under the nostril uh, sunburn is bad. Yeah. The see. under the chin one is the same idea, but yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Archaeologists, since Cody's on and is also an archaeologist, archaeologists sometimes get this uh, lower back sunburn. <laughs> and also, over and also the bald spot sunburn if you're not careful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm completely bald, head front to back, so I have to like <laughs> have to take a lot of care. But there's that they used to call it the Trowler's smile in the when I worked with British students. Uh, it's from where you lean forward, working, you know, like you're kneeling on the edge of a a one meter unit, and you've got to reach down fifty centimeters into this hole, and so your your shirt pulls up over your, the top of your hand, and you uh, get this sunburn right across the back. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, details of, of so <laughs> segueing back to what we're talking about <laughs> so um other than getting suntanned uh what's your favorite thing to do when you have a day at the lodge 
uh, without a guess, what are you going to do for your own fun? What's your favorite thing to do? I think, I think <laughs> that the, um, the coolest thing about what we've tried to create here for guests is, is that we've created things that we love to do. And so we, we wanted to, um, not look at, uh, the lodge and guests as a job, but more an extension of what we love to do. And so you'll find us doing the exact same things on our days off as we do. Um, when people are here, we're, we're putting in trails, we're going dog mushing, we're, um, I think we try hiking. We probably try to do more um, exploration yeah. um, when we don't have guests, so that we can. But then we we learn things that then we can then. And then we take the people to yeah. those places. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of research, but it's also just what you like to do. Yeah. yeah. That's just what we like to do. That's a very good answer. Thank you. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's like. What about? I just want to ask about in in. Um, in winter, of course, you're dog mushing a lot and getting ready for the dog run. In the summer, you mentioned hiking. Are, are there other activities you like to do in the summertime? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a big water sports person, so I like kayakrafting, canoeing. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Is this Susitna? I don't remember. Is it a canoeable, kayakable? Um, so it's a big braided river at this point. Um, we have done some pack rafting on it. I wouldn't canoe on it or um yeah just because the act there's not many there's access, access points yeah. and so carrying it can you know you can yeah. you can canoe it you would just have to you'd have to <laughs> portage for for quite a ways which yeah. is, which makes the pack raft the um the perfect tool yeah, for so that it's, it's a hike in and then float back yeah. to the bridge kind of kind of thing uh, but yeah other than that i mean those are those are the two main things that we like to do is hike and, and, and paddle and um we have the dogs need exercise in the summer. So we do still run the dogs um, on it's cool enough here in the mountains to, to run them in the summertime a little bit, just short distances for fun. So we do that. And then we also take them for lots of hikes. So we'll take, when we do go hiking, um, we take dogs and if guests are into it, we'll also take a dog or two, our retired sled dogs to go on hikes with us. And so that's one of the cool features in the summertime too, is the guests actually, um, if they're really interested in the dogs and they get to spend a lot of time helping us, the dog yard, meeting the dogs. We got a couple of retired dogs who are happy to sleep in bed with the guests if that's what they're into. Our reviews are generally more about how cool our dogs are than how yes. cool and I are. <laughs> I, I am sure that's true. Yeah. No, that's just delegating, you know? It's just very good people. <laughs> Is bringing in bringing in experts uh, and right. animals, and that's good. Well, Cody and Paige, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all about the Susitna Adventure Lodge and your lives in Alaska and how guests can join in on the fun. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank yeah. thank you for having us. Ah, really appreciate the chat today. It's been a pleasure. And, bye bye. Thank, and thanks to all of you listening for joining us for this episode of Alaska Uncovered. If you haven't already, make sure to sign up for my email list and get all my Alaska travel tips every Wednesday. The link for that is in the show notes. And you can always follow us on Instagram at Alaska Uncovered. Bye for now. <laughs>